Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast. Our podcast series focuses on the most important topics in alternative data with industry-leading experts as featured guests. Your hosts are Eagle Alpha subject matter thought leaders who lead these lively and informative discussions. Please enjoy this and all episodes of Profiting from Data. Hello there, Brendan Furlan from Eagle Alpha here on the Profiting from Data podcast. Joining me today, I have Felipe Torres from uh, G2, and we will shortly be getting into uh, how the technographic data from G2 and getting into everything related to what G2 does. Uh, but first off, uh, Felipe, if you can basically introduce yourself, uh, brief background, and then we can continue from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brendan. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Big fan of Eco Alpha here. And yeah, so my name is Felipe Torres. I've been here at G2 for five years, helping take this alternative data set to market, working with a host of customers across private side, public side, and advisory services as well. A little bit of historical context, I used to work in investment banking and got my start, uh, educationally at least, in engineering. So I've been doing a couple of different roles and types of work throughout my career so far. Excellent. Thank you very much. And I always tell everybody when we start the, these podcasts that I always pick something from their LinkedIn profile and you kind of preempted me there a little <laughs> bit, uh, which is fine. Uh, you know, the one thing that's interesting from somebody's profile, we don't have to get into your whole profile, but that investment banking piece so I guess, A, how did you get into investment banking? And then how did you transition from investment banking to all data? What was, you know, how did that happen? Yeah. So I think breaking into investment banking was an interesting and fun experience. Breaking out of it was also fun and interesting. But just to summarize, I, because I studied engineering in college, I had to make a real case for my eventual employer to take me. And in order to achieve that, I worked with an organization called Management Leadership for Tomorrow and specifically career prep in order to understand the ins and outs of how the investment banking industry works and how to differentiate myself as a candidate. Ended up doing a couple of accounting courses at Cornell, which in turn helped me get that internship, which converted to a full-time. But as far as transitioning from investment banking to G2, it really stemmed from the realization that a lot of the, the advisory services that we provided were rooted in storytelling with data. And a lot of those data points are estimates, right? Whether you're creating an LBO model or in my case within utilities, a rate-based model, you have to go out and find supporting materials for why you're making the case that something in the future will be the way that you think it is. All that to say that it, it sparked in me the idea and the understanding of the value in data when it comes to investments. So that's just a little bit of a quick overview of how I came to appreciate G2's data and was so passionate about bringing it to the buy side. Okay, interesting. The second piece is you know, pretty logical. Uh, the first piece is kind of a, I mean, a lot, it's also logical, but it's quite interesting in terms of you, uh, you had a desire to get into investment banking and you basically went after it type of thing. You got the career prep that got you into the internship. What was, you know, I guess, how did you find out about that career prep internship journey, if you will, that caused you to go down that route? Yeah, I think the way that I did that is how I try to live my life and, and shape my career generally, which was in conversations with mentors and 
keeping my ear to to the street, if you will, and understanding what the different types of options are out there. So I was like 17 years old at the time, interning at JP Morgan Chase, but in a technical capacity doing risk modeling for their credit card division. And I was catching up with a friend who is now an investor. And, and the, the point is, he was sharing with me his experience doing investment banking and, and his internship. Hey, look, I'm talking to CEOs all day. I'm getting all these financial details from these companies and understanding the ins and outs of their operations. I think it's really exciting. It's fast paced. I get paid a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of upside. And, and so to me, it was, okay, but by way of networking and having these conversations, being open to learning more is how that first came across my radar. And then additionally, that perspective of, okay, this is something that's hard to get, I want to try to get it. So he mentioned in passing, like, and, you know, it's an extremely hard industry to break into and recruiting is competitive on campus. Oh, well, sign me up. Like, that sounds like a challenge. I'm open to it. So again, really, it was not so much a matter of me understanding from Cornell's career services, what my options are. It was more so talking to friends and understanding what they were up to during their summer that sparked in me the idea that, oh, th- this could be a, a career for me. Because again, of that confluence between, hey, it's exciting, it's fast paced, and also it, it can be lucrative and rewarding. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing. Like you, it seems for somebody to be so young or whatever, and I'm putting myself back when I was that age, which is not too, we, we pretend that not too long ago. Um, <laughs> very focused and very driven, you know, very goal oriented. It was uh, interesting. Yeah. And, yeah for, Good for you for play. I, yeah. I, I certainly wasn't that focused or, <laughs> or goal oriented when I was that age. So uh, hands up on that one. Well, well I appreciate. It. I, I I think a lot of it comes with who you surround yourself with, and that's that's kind of the core of, of what that you know what I was trying to allude to is. I had good friends who were willing to have those conversations with me, and now I just try to pay that forward, whether it's by doing it informally or by signing up to be a mentor on a couple of organizations that I currently volunteer at, as, as examples. Great. Very good. Well, listen, let's get back to, uh, we kind of went a little bit off track there. Let's yep. get back to the, the G2. So if you can tell me, I guess, a little bit about the origin of G2, you know, how it originated, where it came from and the type of data that it gets and how it can be used. Yeah, yeah, certainly happy to. So the origin story for G2, in summary, includes the founding team having developed four amazing companies that were having a very hard time getting published on the traditional research publications. So if we think about the Gartners of the world or the Capteras, the model that includes the analysts going out, performing extremely deep dives on these companies and, and going on site many times, developing those reports, I think those have their place, certainly, but at the same time, makes it very hard for new entrants to disrupt. Long story short, my founding team thought that there should be a better way. And so they founded G2 to represent a crowdsourced approach to the same idea. The idea being, how do I find the best software solution that fits my needs? And so in summary, if I fast forward uh, now for the past 11 years, we've collected 2.2 million reviews on uh, uh, on an authentic crowdsourced basis where users of these tools come in and they leave their feedback which in turn powers the other side of the marketplace for the buyers to come in and make educated decisions. And now I'll kind of summarize all that to say that over the past three years, we've gotten enough inbound interest from investors that say, well, hold on, that data is not only relevant for people buying software for their tech stack, but also for investors who want to buy those software companies for their portfolios. So I'll pause there and leave it at the 30,000 know, foot view before we continue. But that's kind of like a summary of G2. 
Yeah, so it, it so to some extent, your financial markets piece of your business, if you want to call it that, it's the exhaust data from the original corporate data or the the original concept. So it's a derivative. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to say you stumbled into it, but it's a derivative <laughs> of the derivative of the original business uh, where somebody was looking for reviews, trying to find out what's the best software or tech. Mm-hmm. Is that the right uh, way to think of it? I would say that that is accurate. You know, many times investors will say, look, the best companies that come across my deck, they will include in their pitch materials the badges that they've worn on G2 or, or snippets of the review content themselves. How about I pay you to proactively identify those myself? And that's just kind of one microcosm of how this came about. But that, that's precisely right. Our core focus was in helping software buyers for all these years. But eventually, you know, m- maybe my, uh, my CEO or the team that was intimately involved with it might use different wording, but they stumbled upon this, this gold mine and realized we should start selling this as well and, and taking it to market to support the investing use case. When ballpark, if you can't write, if you don't have the exact number, how long ago did that happen that they started to get inbounds from the financial services hedge fund community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was early 2021 is, is when it really started to pick up steam. And especially when everybody went remote and started working from home, mm-hmm. then investors started to realize, well, hold on, we're going to need some differentiated insights in order to to make these smart investment decisions. And of course, going back to that time in, in the financial markets, everything was up and to the right. Appetite for for new tools was, was very high because everybody was kind of racing against each other to try to win out on these deals. So it was really a a confluence of all these factors that made us take off really quickly when we when we decided to package this and sell this formally. Okay, interesting. And for I guess people who aren't necessarily fully up to speed of what GT does, what is what your you know it's software SaaS tech? What's the core of what you do in terms of those reviews? Those two point two million reviews over eleven years doesn't cover everything. Obviously, yeah. the whole planet. But what you know what's the, what's the mm-hmm. core? Yeah, so the the way I normally describe it is by contrasting it with traditional markets. So at Wells Fargo, for example, my previous employer, they had a department, they had a sector coverage called TMT, Technology, Media, and Telecom. Though mm-hmm. so G2 would would in in summary represent the the first team. So we do technology broadly, and the subset within that where we focus most is software, B2B software and SaaS solutions. So whether it's project collaboration or online video solutions, things that help teams operate and it's mm. part of their tech stack is, is where we focus. There is additionally, I should add a minor asterisk or rather a, a minor addition that is services as well, which is a growing division, but also not our core focus. But just to close out with the example, cybersecurity would be another good example of, of where we focus anything that is b2b SaaS is likely to have strong review volume on g2 okay and so but there wouldn't be per se anything in terms of the in terms of the tech stack the tech infrastructure in terms of routers and servers and that type of stuff it's more on the software side correct we do not include like hardware as as one example semiconductors manufacturing anything like that but when you think about software vertical categories horizontal categories front of office back of office the entire gamut we span it gotcha gotcha so listen there are a couple of competitors out there there's probably two core competitors i would say to you out there who are doing similar things i guess you know competitive dynamics if you can explain you know what you do differently you know, why should somebody look at you or at least put you at, at an equal footing initially with one of those competitors? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, like, like I said, I, I always in conversations try less to, and I know this is not where you were headed, tr- try less to say, put down another competitor and, and rather dr- try to clarify where G2 might be the strongest fit for one specific, you know, customer versus a different subset of customers. All that to say that what differentiates G2 the most would be first in its crowdsourced nature. So I was alluding earlier to, Hey, all of our insights come from verified users. Yeah. But additionally to that, Brendan, I would also comment on the two-sided nature of our data. And this is a, a new dynamic that I'm introducing for the first time. But so G2 captures those reviews, which is feedback left by users of these tools. But what also supports the investment use case is understanding the buyer behavior. So what are buyers looking for and where is demand headed to? How is that evolving? All that to say, again, that on G2, we offer the clickstream information about what buyers are shopping for. So by way of use cases, okay, what profiles are generating the most amount of traction, but also what does that look like from a sector perspective and which categories within our website are starting to see an influx of demand whether it's across the pond in, in Europe slash, you know, domestically in America, or whether it's because the breakdown of those buyers are more enterprise focused now than they are SMB. And again, maybe we'll touch on this throughout the conversation, but as part of that buyer intent, what, what also differentiates G2 is that we're able to provide details granular, granularly about what those buyers look like, which in turn helps to inform that, that process all the much more. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, be very important there that you understand you have a very kind of a granular insight of what the buyers are doing, and that data has multiple use cases potentially for you know outside of your mm-hmm. corporate clients, but you know focusing in on the hedge fund, uh, financial markets, even private equity type clients. You know, is, is there any rough overview that you can elaborate on on how you know your quants, discretionary, PE, maybe other financial mm-hmm. clients that use your data? Use cases, you know, just at a high level. Obviously, you can't give anything away, but just at a high level. Yeah, certainly happy to. The majority of our customer base is in private equity at the moment. The fastest growing, I would say, is more on that public side, whether it's the quant funds or some of those discretionary funds. The main difference I I would allude to when it comes to the use cases that these customers look for is... By way of a of an example, I suppose the continuum of whether our data is meant to be used as a predictive signal or a descriptive signal, and I think that for the public side investors, they are heavily keen on understanding the correlation between our KPIs and the st- public stock performance of these companies. So if they see that there is an influx in positive reviews for a specific vendor on G2, can they expect that the valuation will reflect that in the coming quarter once the, you know, you know, once the earnings are announced? That's more on the public side investing where, again, it's using G2 as inputs to understand a company, whether it's systematically or whether it's by diving deep into those the, the contents of the reviews and the buyer right. intent. Separately, I would just summarize that the private equity investing use case is not too different. I mean, that there's definitely definitely parallels. One of them being, okay, the diligence use case. Hey, I want to double click into a company before I write a $100 million check. I want to understand what users are saying and also how much buyers are drawn to this solution, but also competitive benchmarking. So if I take the reviews for this company, how does that compare to the, on the exact same field and criteria 
for its top five competitors, top five competitors, what are the different use cases? So um, at the moment, currently expanding on the diligence use case, there's, there's many ways to do diligence beyond, okay, what do users like best? What do they dislike? It also helps you create market maps and benchmark them. And yeah. Brandon, just to close out with, with the PE use case, yeah. I think sourcing is very important here. I mean, mm. the universe is, is so large, right? Like there are just thousands, hundreds of thousands of eligible companies for these investors to go after. How can they possibly differentiate the long tail? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's where G2 yeah. comes in, right? Like, hey, look, let, let me present you with a list of 500 companies that over the past six months have seen a positive momentum on G2. These companies should be something that you at least either consider or rule out for one reason or another. But again, it's, it, it can be used as a sourcing engine. Yeah, I mean, on the private equity side, it makes a... Because obviously SaaS software is kind of a growth market and everybody wants to find the next... Zoom or whoever, uh, Workday <laughs> or whoever it is, uh, yeah. Tableau before it gets acquired. Um, mm-hmm. Data sourcing makes it makes a lot of sense. I guess the the one question there is the robustness of the data in terms of people searching for the reviews or providing the reviews, mm. or is it the uh, the clickstream data? Is it robust enough for those smaller you know smaller companies? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's another good point you bring up. I think in terms of bullet points, we have 80 million buyers, 18 million buyers coming to G2 each year, making those purchasing decisions and browsing around on our website to identify the best solution. Now, your point is is valid, right? So how many of those 80 million users and, and traffic signals are being paid to those small businesses that are listed on G2? I would first comment that that's actually where G2 is differentiated. Back to your earlier question around mm. pay. So if you compare G2 to some of the legacy players and the solutions they provide, what makes us different? I think it's because as a result of being crowdsourced, if you're a Series A company with 20 logos and, and you just started, say, two, three years ago, you can still have a large presence on G2. And in fact, if your reviews are strong enough and you're delighting your customers to such a degree, you could be a leader. Like You could be at the top of the grid and earn those right. badges, which, yeah, yeah. which is a free... Achievement. You, it's not a pay-to-win conclusion. You don't get those badges with investment. You you just get them because users love your product. So I, I bring all this up to point to paint a picture about why it's possible for some of those even some of those earlier stage companies to win on G two. It's because again, it, it's it's a crowdsourced format. And then yeah. lastly, you, you you specifically called out like, okay, well, about that clickstream information, how how much of that is being paid to you know, to small businesses, I would answer by just quickly closing out that 50% of the traffic visits come into G2, the user demographics are small businesses. And normally, okay. if you're a small business, you buy, you're looking for solutions that fit your need. And as a result, there is a lot of activity happening on our marketplace that is not just call it the Salesforce or the McAfee or right, the yeah. Normans of, of the world. Right. Uh, the oracles of the world or whatever. Um, yeah. Yep. So to some extent, a related question, you know, because particularly on the private market side, you may have less data. It seems that you're, you're or there may be less data available from what you're saying, that your data would be ideally combined with some other data set to get a, a better signal for those private companies. Do you see that happening? Do you see your clients doing that, and particularly on the, the PE side or even on the public market side, how they combine data? Yes, certainly, certainly. I normally think of G2 as being an additive layer for an investor to, to form a mosaic. So <laughs> a lot of buzzwords. Well, it's not the answer, yeah. 
yeah, piece, exactly. of the, piece of the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. That, that That's normally how I position G2, which is, look, you're probably not going to conclude your research with G2, but it sure can accelerate and advance the process all the same. So traditionally, to, to your point about the complementary data sets that we see, some of the legacy that I that, that come across my, my radar most often is PitchBook and LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Again, again two classic examples, but with LinkedIn, you can understand, hey, do, does this company have the right people? Are they, are they hiring crack engineers out of Amazon and, and Google? And are they going to develop features that are a smashing success? Okay, that's point number one. What does the people data say? Point number two about PitchBook is, what does the cap table look like? When's the last time they raised? Who are some of the individuals who are sitting in on those board meetings providing that, that, that commentary? But those two things alone, a lot of companies might have parallels or or similar inputs as far as those two go. That's where the third slice comes in. That's G2. I think of it as product data. So what is this tools, what does this company's tool actually do? What are the use cases that they're solving for? What specifically are some of the benefits that they offer that users are drawn to and rating as the most useful thing? So just to close out, there could be two, three, four, five companies that have the exact same number of employees. They're all started by ex-Stanford graduates that worked at Google for five years. Okay, so the people data looks the exact same. Secondly, yeah. they all they all raised within the peak of the financial market. So in 2021, they all they all closed their Series B or C. Their cap sta- their cap table looks similar. Again, that's where that's where G2 comes in. Where it's hey, these two companies on paper look the exact same, but I can get granular in my understanding by looking at the product data and seeing what the user sentiment has been about their solutions. Yeah, no, this is a, I mean, this is great. I think that's a great overview of how your data could be combined with other data sets, particularly for the private markets. But going back to the public markets question for you, just roughly, do you know how many tickers you cover? You know, everybody. All the particularly the quant systematic guys. How many tickers does it cover? You know, how many does it cover well? And then I, I guess on the discretion, kind of long, short, multi-strat type of side, it kind of again, kind of a question: Where do you think your your strongest coverage is? You cover a lot of areas, but where where what tickers do you think uh, your best uh, reaching out for? Certainly, I think first as far as these numbers that that inform your question, we have fifteen hundred tickers that we map to on G two. And I would say in analyzing that in, in advance of our conversation, I would say roughly 50% of those have sufficient N where you can, you can draw firm conclusions about this, this company. The remainder might be esoteric names and or companies that just don't have companies that fall into categories within G2 where we don't have the strongest coverage, which is a good segue to your, to your other point regarding what's, what are some of those areas where we do focus the most and have significant coverage. I think just to just to continue like the the examples, project management is a huge focus for G2. So money.com be, being being an example and Asana being being another one smartsheet as well. All of these are solutions that have, you know, roughly 10,000 reviews on G2. Zoom video has a massive amount of reviews, Slack, which is which is which is a, now a company within the Salesforce ecosystem. The point yeah. being that Slack is Slack is actually not a paying customer on G2, but is one of the most awarded platforms because of how happy they make their customers. Video conferencing, Brendan is is another Brendan is another mm-hmm. example of, of where we shine. You know, Zoom yeah, has exactly. yeah, yeah. fifty three thousand reviews. 
marketing automation is huge for us. Accounting, CRM, expense management. That's that's if you're an investor who seeks to make the returns in those industries, I think G2 is kind of a no-brainer personally. Makes a ton of sense. Um, so listen, we are almost running out of time here. I don't know if I have any other questions for you other than that. I mean, possibly, you know, have I missed anything? Is there is there anything you want to get out there in terms of who should be looking at your data? And then mm-hmm. I have one last question to uh, kind of finish up on. Sure, sure. Happy to. So I think one area where investors get excited is when I share our customer base, because we are currently at this in, at this very exciting inflection point where we have enough customers that we offer comfort and assurances to new potential partners that if 75 customers are subscribing to G2, well, surely they're doing something right. Surely their ticker mapping is, is clean and it's healthy. Uh, I can probably surmise that their data delivery is consistent and it, it's worth making an investment into. But the point I'm bringing up is at the same time, 75 customers is very low compared to how many total, you know, the total adjustable market. So I think the conclusion I'm pointing out is we can offer insights that are not yet being leveraged by the majority of the mar- of, of the market. Whereas if you think about some other vendors, like yes, there might be value, but if every single competitor and every other investor is looking at the same insights, well, shoot, we're all going to get to the same answer and the same conclusion. So I, I just think that always something that I bring up during my sales calls that gets my you know my, my partners excited, which is we're, we're still early, so the insights we'll be providing you are differentiated and are not yet you know we, we like to say they're not yet commoditized. So Felix, my last question for you is, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on in the conversation, but you're. The work that you're doing with the Latinx, if you could uh, maybe elaborate on what that is. Certainly happy to. If I'm going to drop one cliche on this uh, on this on this conversation, it's you know your network is your net worth, and and we've all heard that before. But the reason for why I'm so excited about the involvement that I've had in the Latinx community, both currently and, and in the past, first of all, is because of the people that I'm able to meet, but also in the way that I'm able to pay it forward. And I'll make this quick, but I've had support from advisors throughout my educational and professional career that understand that it's different for a person from an underrepresented minority to try to achieve their goals with fewer resources than it is for the exact same candidates otherwise. All that to say that in college, I received a ton of help from management leadership for tomorrow, that career prep program that I was alluding to earlier. They subsequently helped me in my MBA applications through a program called MBA prep. And I wanted to pay that forward through at G2 by starting our Latinx ERG, which is called G2 Latinx and Allies. What we aim to do there is provide a safe space for employees of similar background to kind of discuss their trajectory, understand what other folks who look like them or, or may have had the same upbringing, how they found success in their career. And that was sort of the genesis. And the way we bring that to life is we have recurring events where we bring the company together. We might watch a movie together and discuss the impact or or generally discuss sometime informally, hey, did you all see that new Bad Bunny album? Like, what do you think about the lyrics? Did you, did you catch this, uh, this part of our culture? So that, that's the reason why I like to get involved in those things. And some of the, the benefit is that I just get to know my colleagues and my coworkers so much better through it. Excellent. That, that's, you know, it's great that you're able to, you know, pass on the help that you got earlier in your career from other people that you're doing the same for others in the, in the Latin community. So kudos to you. And uh, yeah, listen, yeah. with that, let's uh, pull the plug and knock it on the head. 
And thank you very much for joining the Property From Data podcast. And we see you again. Cheers. Thank you very much, Felix. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting From Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.